51 years ago, a nine-year-old boy rode his bike to the local convenience store. It was the Victory's buy right. That little nine-year-old boy took his hard-earned cash that he had earned going door-to-door -door, uh, selling flower seeds in the neighborhood. He took his hard-earned cash and uh, he went down to that local Victory's buy, buy right and uh, he bought a candy bar. Reports indicate that uh, it was a payday uh, candy bar, but uh, those reports cannot be confirmed. Uh, and then that little boy headed home on his bike. He was eating the candy bar as he went, and he stopped at the four-way stop there at Peachtree and Gray Bar and finished the candy bar and casually tossed the candy wrapper on the ground. Suddenly a loud male voice startled him. What do you think you're doing, young man? You pick up that wrapper right now and do not ever do that again. Why should I have to pick up your trash from my yard? So the little boy looked up and he saw that there was a very disturbed, angry guy on his front porch. And so the little boy quickly picked up that paper wrapper, that candy wrapper, sped on home. He really had not thought much about throwing a candy wrapper on the ground before, but he was thinking about it then. And I was that little boy. And to this day, I can honestly tell you, I do not believe I have thrown a piece of paper on the ground since. <laughs> Uh, now that was a good rebuke. You know, years ago someone challenged me to start reading one chapter in the Proverbs every day. And I took them up on that challenge. And I've been doing this now for several years. And so when you first come to the book of Proverbs, it's... Um, you feel like it's a little bit scattered, a little bit maybe unorganized, a little bit like, oh man, they keep changing the subject so quickly. And, and uh, I mean, there are some passages in Proverbs that are specifically dedicated to one topic. And you can tell those, those passages, but so many of the, of the other Proverbs just seem to be in a random assortment. It's like they were, uh, oh, here's some Proverbs. Let's gather these Proverbs. Let's get these Proverbs together and let's put them in a, in a book form. That's how it seems at first. But to the careful reader and to the persistent reader, to the reader who makes a discipline of reading over and over and over, you begin to pick up on patterns. And one of the patterns that is so evident in the book of Proverbs is that of a rebuke. As I read through Proverbs, I, I find a lot of wisdom as it comes to rebukes. And I've noticed that this concept, this principle of issuing a rebuke or receiving a rebuke this principle is in there over and over so today I would like to look at just a few of the verses in Proverbs that deal with rebukes how to give a rebuke how to receive a rebuke and today we'll learn three key principles first we'll learn whom should you not rebuke there are some people that Proverbs says do not rebuke them 
Secondly, we'll learn that there are some people who are worthy of a rebuke and they should be rebuked. And then the third key principle that we'll look at today is what happens when you get rebuked? How do you handle a rebuke? So we'll look at some key verses in Proverbs. And, um, but before we do that, let's ask the Lord to give us true insight, wisdom, and discernment as we study his word. Father, we thank you for your word, how kind you are to us, to give us a manual for life. And the Bible is that. And specifically, how do we interact with each other? Proverbs is a book in the Bible that does that. So Lord, help us to be faithful to your word. Give me the words to say, the message to speak. And I pray, Lord, that we will have the courage and the strength to accept it and then act upon it as you would have us do. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I talked about key principles and patterns in Proverbs, and we're specifically talking about rebukes today. How to give a rebuke, who not to rebuke, who to rebuke, how to receive a rebuke. But another key principle in Proverbs is wisdom. It's key. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs, wisdom is a person. Brother Kevin, what are you talking about? Well, most of the Proverbs are by King Solomon. And King Solomon used a fascinating literary device. He knows that talking about wisdom in the pure abstract terms is kind of difficult for us to follow, especially for children to follow. And so Solomon personifies wisdom. He personifies her. For to Solomon, wisdom is a lady. And this shouldn't be stranger to anybody familiar with Western civilization. The Greeks did something similar. They took uh, wisdom and personified her as a god, the god Athena. But to Solomon, wisdom is a later, is a lady. And as a matter of fact, if you look in Proverbs 7, Solomon says, uh, not only is she a lady, you should call her your sister. You should be so close to wisdom that you have a relationship with her. And specifically, I want you to turn to, to Proverbs 9. We're going to be in Proverbs 9. We'll venture out a little bit into a few other chapters, but primarily today, Proverbs 9, verses 1 through 8. Initially, Proverbs 9, 1 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Wisdom has built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars. She's prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her female servants. She calls out from the highest point of the city. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, come, eat my bread, drink the wine I've mixed. Leave inexperience behind and you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. The one who corrects a mocker will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke the wise and he will love you. So the first key principle that 
is evident in Proverbs when it comes to rebukes in regards to the question of whom should you not rebuke. Don't rebuke a mocker. Proverbs 9 verse 8, first part of that verse says, don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Proverbs 15 verse 12 says, a mocker doesn't love one who corrects him. He will not consult the wise. You know, the Bible is full of stories of rebuke. Rebukes spoken, rebukes received, rebukes deserved, rebukes undeserved. And one story in particular that I find in the Bible, which is so fascinating that deals with this concept of rebukes, is the story of David and Shimei. You're probably thinking, David and, uh, you know, it could have been so many could have filled in the blank there. It could be David and Bathsheba. It could be David and Saul. It could be David and Jonathan. It could be, the list goes on and on. So, David and Shimei. 2 Samuel 16, King David is on the throne of Israel. Well, at least he had been on the throne of Israel, but now he's not on the throne. He's running from his throne. He's running from Jerusalem. He's running for his life. He's running from his very own son, Absalom. David's own son, Absalom, is leading a rebellion. Absalom and his tens of thousands of troops are chasing David with the intention of killing him. So David and a small band of loyal followers are leaving Jerusalem because they do not want the bloodshed to take place in that city. They don't want Jerusalem to be destroyed. So they have left the city and they are on the run. And at this low point in David's life, one of King Saul's, the previous king of Israel, one of King Saul's relatives shows up and he's not going to encourage him on the way. His name is Shimei, and I can just see Shimei walking along the ridge down onto a, a narrow valley where David and his loyal followers are trying to get out of town. I can see Shimei walking along the ridge, and Shimei is mocking David. Shimei tells David, the Lord is paying you back, you man of blood. All the terrible things that happened to Saul and his family are your fault, and now it's your turn. Shimei rebukes David. He curses him. He actually throws rocks at them. And the scriptures say that he kicked up the dust. He was being so terribly disrespectful to God's anointed. How did David respond to this rebuke? Did David rebuke him back? Before we see David's response, I want to tell you about one of David's relatives who was there in that loyal band. One of David's cousins named Abishai. Let's hear what cousin Abishai says. Now Abishai is mad. And you know, I can relate to Abishai because I believe if I'd been there, I would have been just as mad as Abishai. And Abishai says, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king. David, let me go over and gently separate him from his, his head from his body. Now, Abishai is rightly angry. Who is this Shimei that he would curse the Lord's anointed? I can relate to Abishai. I agree with him. And Shimei did deserve to die for this treason. 
So how does David respond? David responds with a rebuke of his own. Yes, David responds with a rebuke of his own, but it's not to Shimei, it's to Abishai, his own cousin. David tells Abishai, cool your jets, calm down, let the Lord sort this out. David recognizes the sovereignty of God and even acknowledges the possibility that maybe God sent Shimei to curse me. David does not even respond to the mocker. He doesn't waste his words, his attention. He doesn't cast his pearls before the swine. But David does respond to his cousin Abishai. He rebukes his blood relative, his cousin. Why? Because unlike Shimei, Abishai has the possibility and the character to respond and to learn from this situation. David knew that there was a good possibility that Abishai would actually listen to the rebuke and learn. So don't rebuke the mocker. Don't rebuke the wicked. Proverbs 9.7 says, The one who corrects a mocker will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Scott Sauls in his book, From Weakness to Strength, tells the story about D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was preaching to a large crowd and D.L. Moody kind of had his own Shimei experience. Now you may know the name of D.L. Moody. Uh, Moody was a man of God, a preacher that uh, God used mightily. His influence for the Lord is felt even today. Some of you may have listened to Moody Radio on your way to church this morning. Our own sweet daughter Tiffany was a student at Moody Bible College in Chicago. But while D.L. Moody was preaching to a very large crowd, suddenly a a young, very self-assured, know-it-all seminary student stood up in the crowd and began to publicly challenge what Moody was saying. Now, Moody at this time was a veteran evangelist. He had been around for some time. This student rudely interrupted him time and time again, trying to trip him up. Eventually, Moody had all he could take, and he snapped. D.L. Moody used his great uh, gift of words to put that young man in his place, and he silenced him. And thinking that the young man had received what he deserved, the crowd applauded and showed their hearty approval of D.L. Moody's response. But a little bit later in his sermon, D.L. Moody stopped and he said, Friends, this is a direct quote. Friends, I have to confess before all of you that at the beginning of my meeting, I gave a very foolish answer to my brother down there. I asked God to forgive me and I asked him to forgive me. Now that's a man who can take a rebuke. So first, don't rebuke a mocker. Don't rebuke a wicked person. But who should you rebuke? Well, you know, you could rebuke a wise person. Proverbs 9, 8 says, Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. But then there's the flip side of that coin. Rebuke the wise and he will love you. Two opposites. Rebuke a mocker, he'll hate you. Rebuke a wise person, he'll love you for it. Listen to this, Proverbs 15, verses 31 through 32. 
This is an incredible verse. One who listens to life-giving rebukes will be at home among the wise. Anyone who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever listens to correction acquires good sense. Here we got two sides of the coin again. If you listen to life-giving rebukes, you're going to be very comfortable among the wise. But if you ignore discipline, if you ignore correction, you actually don't even love yourself. Whoever listens to correction acquires good sense. The words in that verse, Proverbs 15, verses 31 through 32, the words that stand out to me the most are one who listens to, listen, life-giving rebukes. There are some rebukes that are life-giving. There are some rebukes that are life-changing in a positive way. And if you are willing to listen to a life-giving rebuke, not saying it's going to be easy, not saying there's not going to be pain involved. What I am saying is if you're willing to listen to life-giving rebuke, then you're going to be mighty comfortable. You're going to be right at home with the wise people. Here's another D.L. story, D.L. Moody story about a rebuke. This comes from God's generals, D.L. Moody, the greatest layman. D.L. Moody says this, and this is a quote. I remember once when I first was first converted, I, I spoke in a Sunday school and there seemed to be a great deal of interest and quite a number of people rose for prayer. And I remember I went out of that service greatly rejoiced. But an old man followed me out. I've never seen him since. I've never seen, I had never seen him before. I don't even know his name. But he caught hold of my hand and he gave me a little bit of advice. I didn't know what he meant at the time, but he said, Young man, when you speak again, honor the Holy Ghost. I was hasting off to another church to speak, and all the way it kept ringing in my ears, honor the Holy Ghost. And I said to myself, I wonder what that old man means. I have found out since what he meant. And I think that all I have, that all that of, of us who have been to work in the vineyard of the Lord have learned the lesson that if we honor him in our efforts to, to do good, he will honor us and work through us. But if we don't honor him, we will surely break down. And this is a word for Blackman Baptist Church. The only work that is going to stand to eternity is the work done by the Holy Spirit and not by any one of us. He took that rebuke. He learned from that rebuke. And that rebuke can teach us today. There's about 100, 125 of us here at Blackman Baptist Church, and we're doing a lot of work. We're doing a lot of good things. We seek to honor the Lord in everything that we do. But if we get confused and start thinking that it's us doing the work and not Him, we're not honoring the Holy Ghost. D.L. Moody is teaching us through a rebuke he received from a man he didn't know, a man he had never met, a man who didn't even know his name. The Bible is full of stories of rebuke. And David plays key in a lot of these. We've talked about David and Shimei. Earlier in his life, David was rebuked by a lady, Abigail. And 
she stopped David from really doing a disservice to his own leadership into killing a man that he had no business killing. I think about David and the prophet Nathan. Nathan rebuked him to his face and told him, Thou art the man. And David immediately said that he agreed with that. If you're going to rebuke anybody, rebuke a wise man. You know there are other people you can rebuke if you're in the mood to rebuke. If you just need somebody to rebuke, you can always rebuke an inexperienced person. Uh, I think of that nine-year-old boy riding his bike to the, to the local convenience store, uh, certainly inexperienced, certainly young, certainly needed that rebuke. And parents, your children need some rebukes. Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 11, when a mocker is punished, the inexperienced become wiser. When one teaches a wise man, he acquires knowledge. Listen to this, Proverbs 19, 20. Listen to counsel and receive instruction so that you may be wise later in life. Parents, you have a responsibility to rebuke your children in a godly way when they need it. So you, you could rebuke a wise man. You could rebuke an inexperienced person. You could also rebuke a sensible person, a perceptive person. We covered this in our community group uh, Thursday night, Proverbs 17.10. We actually dwelt on this verse quite a bit. Proverbs 17 says, A rebuke cuts into a perceptive person more than a hundred lashes into a fool. A rebuke, spoken rebuke, is going to cut into a person who is ready to receive it and learn from it more than a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. So there's three people that you can rebuke. You can rebuke a wise person. You can rebuke a young person, an inexperienced person. You can rebuke a perceptive person. And now I want to take us back to Proverbs chapter 9. The first eight verses were wisdom calling out. And now I want you to hear the flip side of wisdom calling out. If you look at Proverbs chapter 9, verses 13 through 18. And I want you to listen to the contrast. Wisdom has called out. Verse 13, folly is a rowdy woman. She's gullible and knows nothing. She sits by the doorway of the house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling to those who pass by, who go straight ahead on their path. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks scent, you see up to this point, can't tell the difference between wisdom and folly. She is saying the same thing. She's located at one of the highest points in the city. And if you listen to her, her message sounds the same. At the beginning, it's identical. Whoever's inexperienced, enter here. But then she says in verse 17, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten secretly is tasty. But he doesn't know that the departed spirits are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is what I love about the Bible. It is so practical. We see the contrast between wisdom and we see the con as it's contrasted to folly. If you look at Proverbs chapter 12, verses 1, and this is something that we did in our community group this week as well, we started thinking about how can we if we have children, if we have grandchildren, if we have young people who have been entrusted to our care, whether in Sunday school or Awana, how can we help them? 
Well, one of the ways that we can do that is we can take the scriptures, meditate on those scriptures, and turn them into riddles. Riddles are a tremendous way to teach our children deep truths. Weston brought Judah and Benjamin and Ellie over yesterday morning and uh, we were uh, picking some peppers, uh, which by the way, there's some peppers in the kitchen if you need some extra peppers. We were picking peppers and, uh, and then we got done with that and Judah, who is three and a half, uh, migrates to the stones and the pebbles and he surreptitiously starts throwing the rocks in the, the pond. Now, I'm not against throwing rocks in the pond, but when you have 14 grandkids, when one of them starts throwing rocks, it, it could and might not end up well. So we kind of have a rule, don't throw rocks in the pond. And so we got on Judah and we told him, we said, hey, Judah, no, no. So Judah's got a rock in his hand, temptation is in his hand. And he's just looking at it, looking up at us. And he says, Grandpa, do you know what eats rocks? And I said, I, I can't think of one animal that eats rocks. And he says, ponds. <laughs> How can you discipline a young man who is using riddles to teach Grandpa a lesson? Riddles are a great, great way. Look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Let me read it for you. Whoever loves, listen for the riddle. There's two riddles in here. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but one who hates correction is stupid. First riddle, who hates correction? The one who is stupid. Second riddle, who loves discipline? Answer, the one who loves knowledge. Look at Proverbs 13.1, one, one chapter over. Proverbs 13.1, two more riddles for you. Proverbs 13.1 says, A wise son responds to his father's discipline, but a mocker doesn't listen to rebuke. Now I could call on our resident expert, Brad, to form that into a riddle, and Brad would probably say, riddle number one, who responds to his father's discipline? The wise son. So dads, next time you got to Discipline your son, and he's not necessarily responding well. Teach him this riddle. Who responds to a father's discipline? The wise son does that. Here's the second riddle in that verse. Who doesn't listen to rebuke the mocker? Look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 18. Two more riddles from this. Poverty and disgrace come to those who ignore discipline. But the one who accepts, accepts correction will be honored. Here's a riddle. What comes to those who ignore discipline? Poverty. Disgrace. Here's another riddle. What comes to the one who accepts correction? He'll be honored. So we've looked at who should we not rebuke. We've looked at who can we rebuke. We've looked at some pretty neat things that we can share with the with our kids or the young people who have been entrusted to our care. What if you're rebuked? How should you handle a rebuke? First of all, we should look at what if the rebuke is actually deserved? What if it's relevant? What if it's correct? The psalmist says in Psalm 141, let the righteous, let the righteous one strike me. 
It is an act of faithful love. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let me not refuse it. Well, if the rebuke is right and correct and accurate, then we should receive it because that's what a wise person does. Life-giving rebukes. Are you listening to life-giving rebukes? Proverbs 15.5 says this, A fool despises his father's discipline, but a person who accepts correction is sensible. So if the rebuke is deserved, accept it. That's life-giving instruction. But what if the rebuke is not deserved? One more D.L. Moody story for you, okay? One day a lady criticized D.L. Moody for his methods of evangelism in attempting to win people to the Lord. Moody's reply was, I agree with you. I don't like the way I do it either. Tell me, how do you do it? And the lady replied, I don't do it. And then Moody said, well, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. So that was a rebuke that was not deserved. I love this verse, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 2. Like a flitting sparrow or a fluttering swallow, an undeserved curse goes nowhere. So if the rebuke is appropriate and deserved, you should accept it and learn from it. If it's not, you should ignore it and move on. But what if you can't tell the difference? I mean, this is real life. Sometimes people rebuke us and we... We're trying to sort through, is there truth here? Is this the truth? Maybe some of this is the truth. Maybe some of it's not the truth. Came across a great blog by Michael Kelly. Three steps to handling criticism like a Christian. And he encourages us when this happens to ask ourselves three questions. Number one, who am I? As a Christian, you've been changed. As a Christian, your walk is different. As a Christian, you're different from the world. So the first thing you should ask yourself is, who am I? Listen to what he says. Believing the gospel doesn't just change where we're going. It changes who we are. When we believe the gospel, we move from death to life. But we also move from being an enemy of God to being one of his children. And we need to remember that the people that we're talking to may have not experienced that transformation. A dear friend, a lobbyist on Capitol Hill here in Tennessee once shared with Rhonda. I think Rhonda asked her, how do you deal with people whose life viewpoint, their worldview is so different from ours? And you may be diametrically opposed to the legislation that they're proposing or that they're going to vote for. How do you deal with them? And this lady, so wise in, in the way of the Lord, said, whenever I talk to somebody, even if I have a sharp disagreement with them and, and how they may vote, I keep in mind this. Can I share the gospel with them after we have this conversation? And if I can't share the gospel with them after I've had this conversation, then something's wrong with me and the way I handled this conversation. So wise. The question is not really... Who's, who am I? The question is really, who do we belong to? And if you remember that you belong to the Heavenly Father and you're representing Him, that'll change the way you handle criticism. First question, who am I? Second question, where am I going? 
As Christians, we're going to heaven. But we are also headed towards Christ-likeness. We're being formed by the Spirit of God into a holy people, both inside and out. We are on a journey. We are children of the King. We are on our way to the promised land. And we must remember those two things as we think about how people have criticized us, how people have rebuked us. And then the third question we should ask ourselves is, where did this rebuke come from? Now, notice this is the third question. Our tendency is to jump the line and ask this first. Consider the source. Who said this? But Michael Kelly is so good to point out that, first of all, go back to identity. Who are we or whose are we? First. Secondly, where are we going? And then and only then the third question, where did this criticism come from? Did it come from someone who knows us? Is this person one of those people who really do nothing but criticize? I think about the lady that asked D.L. Moody, criticized D.L. Moody for the way that he told people about Jesus. That, that lady fit in that category. Is this person mean-spirited or are they general, genuinely trying to help us? So those are the three questions. Who am I? Where am I going? Where did the rebuke come from? Now we've looked at several rebukes today in the Bible, specifically great principles of rebuke in Proverbs. We've seen that sometimes rebukes really are intended to help, but other times rebukes are intended to harm. So I've been thinking about rebukes and how sometimes rebukes are really like curses, especially if the person doesn't have our best interest at heart. You have rebukes, you have curses, but the ultimate rejection of a person is to murder them. And if you can have that person murdered legally by the government, well, that murderous rebuke is the ultimate rejection. May I remind you that Jesus was rebuked for us? May I remind you that Jesus was cursed for us? May I remind you that Jesus was hung on that cursed tree and was executed for us. And what was his response? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus suffered the ultimate rejection for us. I mean, you don't have to reject him. He stands ready, willing, and able to forgive you. Have you done that? Have you placed your faith in the one who died for you, who bled for you, who took your place, or are you still rejecting him? And Christian, now that you've trusted Him, now that you're following Him, are you living the way that you should? Or do you need a good rebuke? Father, You are so patient with us, and for that we thank You. Lord, Your mercies are new every morning. I just think about, I think about not just Your mercies, but Your forgiveness. Oh, and I'm overwhelmed when I think about what Jesus suffered for us, for me. And I'm thinking about what Jesus did and why he did it and why you put your son through that. And I think, 
Your mercies truly are new every morning. Your grace, your forgiveness. Lord, you've given us so much. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to be patient with us. Forgive us when we fail you. And I pray, Lord, that you would renew in us a new commitment to honor you and to honor the Holy Spirit in all the work that we do. Help us never to lose our focus that we are working for you and that you are working through us. And anything that we do in our own strength is really just wood, hay, and stubble. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless this time of invitation. Would you stand with me, please? As we have this time of invitation, the altar is open. If you want to give your life to Christ, here's the time. If you want to renew your commitment to Him, here's the time. I'm going to ask Brother Ken Kangas if he'll stand here. And I'll stand over here. We'll pray with you. This time is for you.